so I, I turned 36 yesterday and uh, I realized I'm always quite surprised when I have when somebody says how old are you I was like oh wait if I carry the three and then my brother was there and I'm like you know you always quite work it out Literally, you never. I never really consciously own the age that I am. Today we're chatting to Leia Moanga Magoye about dissecting the strong black women's trope. I love that you took the time to dedicate the day to yourself, to like thinking and relaxing and being in yourself, and that's just beautiful. I realised I feel so lucky to be getting older because I wouldn't want to have done this when I was 25 uh, or even potentially 30 like I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to grow older this is black motherhood what do we need to unlearn as we raise unapologetic black girls Leia is a British writer and narrative designer of Ugandan heritage who grew up in Kenya and Namibia before returning to the UK for secondary school and university Leia completed a degree in classics at the University of Edinburgh and after working in various filmmaking roles she did an MA in dramatic writing at Central St Martins. She now works as a narrative designer for games as well as working on her PhD at Central St Martins where she is doing a practice-based research degree writing a graphic novel in Afrofuturistic genre. And on top of that Leia has a daughter who is turning seven this summer although she very much behaves as though she's turning 17. So welcome today, Leia. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I love the way that at the end you said, on top of that, she's a mother. <laughs> My daughter very much would be like, no, before all of that. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, it's the only reason why I'm on this podcast. My, you know, defining feature is the little, is the little thing that was the epilogue at the end. Uh, my 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 daughter so i mean it's been a tough year globally and a lot of people's lives has been really impacted by the pandemic so with that in mind before we begin this discussion just wanted to ask you how are you doing how is Lair doing today today i feel circumspect i feel um quite philosophical i feel that yes there's so many challenges but there's many things to be grateful for so yeah, I feel I feel more grounded than I was two days ago, <laughs> um, and probably more grounded than I will be two days from now. Um, you know, through the pandemic, we've all like you know shuffled from sofa to fridge, and not much else exercise. And so I feel very, I don't feel super comfortable in my body. And I'm like, is that because? I was always feeling like I needed to look a certain way or whatever, or is it because I'm literally like, I, I don't, I layer, do not feel comfortable. Is it about what I need to show to other people or is it about me? I think, you know, that whole thing, the only way to, uh, you can't go around something, you kind of have to go through it. So I think I personally need to embrace my age. Um, if you change it for other people, it's, I don't know, you'll always be waiting for the validation of other people to feel okay, as opposed to if you change it to so you're like, oh, wow, I feel really fit and healthy. I feel like my, I'm sleeping better. I feel like, you know, I I am what I want to be. And does that mean I get rid of a whole new of a wardrobe and get a whole new one to like fit this size that I feel happy in? 
or does it mean like I keep I don't know I guess it's just um what I realized is just making a conscious decision to own literally every part of me including the amount of time I've been on the planet um is the only way to make sure I'm making decisions based on my own needs as opposed to based on essentially the fleeting projections of insecurities of other people that I like dressed up as um as commentary but yeah no, that's true. And I think that's something that so many people can relate with. Like we do compare or we hear these things like, oh, I mean, I don't know what it's like for you, but I so many times when I see like family and friend, family friends in Zambia or something, they'll be like, oh, you've been eating well. Like you've got on. I'm just like, oh, okay. Am I getting fat? And like, I know it does, it's not a bad thing. Like that's a compliment. Like, oh, you're looking healthy. But then my projections of growing up here in the UK, I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, I'm getting bigger. And I'm like, well, I am like, you know, I'm not 16 year old me anymore. I've grown into a woman, you know, and I need to own that. It doesn't matter if I am getting bigger. And um, I think that's definitely yeah, something that um, a lot of people would relate with. Um, in terms of, I think, one of the things you've alluded to um, during the discussion so far is kind of the challenges and the things that life throws at us. And there's a kind of the classic stereotype of the strong black woman. And it's something that's more than just a cultural trope. Research has concluded that many black women feel pressured to act like superwomen. Um, they project themselves as strong, self-sacrificing and free of emotion to cope with the stress of kind of race and gender-based discrimination in their daily lives. Um, wanted to get your views as a black mother on the expectation of portraying strength. And would you consider the beliefs, would you consider the belief as harmful to black girls and to mothers as well? That's such a leading question. It was what's bad. I will say that every, I think, every, I feel every human being is entitled to self-determination. Every human being is entitled to being able to um, just constantly move closer to the truth of who they are. Um, and when you are prescribed a an identity uh, that you need to focus on fitting in, it takes away the energy of moving towards who you are. And it also often harms you because you need to sort of, you know, suppress things or modify things in a way that isn't, you ought not have to do. Um, so yeah, I feel like from, again, in every, I guess, role that I played, so as a person, so as a daughter, as a 36 year old, as a, and, and definitely as a mother, try to be conscious about it and yeah, I, I was, I'm very conscious that um, I don't see a lot of, why I love telling stories is because that's essentially how we learn. And so, no, I haven't seen many stories that allow for vulnerability or allow for um, a request for help before, you know, crisis point, but seeing a, a black woman who is a mother um, reaching out and asking for help or not even for help, but asking for what it is that she needs as a person outside of being a mother is not something that is not a story I've seen told often. Um, but it is a story that I try to tell myself that, you know, try hard to make space to think about what you need. Um, I will say though, I fail because yeah, there's a lot of conditioning, um, as you say, in terms of how, 
um, black women have been uh, portrayed. And um, it's funny, I, was, I got finally got a diagnosis through uni for, or a diagnosis of symptoms through uni for ADD, inattentive ADD. And um, I've always done really, really well at school, but I've always been so stressed about like anything with deadlines, like um, homework and, and things like that. It always, I, I just, it was really difficult. And there were certain aspects of things that were really difficult, but I did get very, very good grades. So I felt like I wasn't allowed to ask for help. Um, and I was talking to a friend about this. She's white, but a woman too. And she was saying that, yeah, she was always told at um, school, you have no excuse. And I definitely think that's something that um, I've heard of a lot, heard a lot was, you know, you have no excuse. You have, you've got everything that you need. You should be excelling. Um, and then on top of that, what isn't said so explicitly, hasn't been said so explicitly is, um, you need to excel to just be seen as normal, uh, the par. The, the standards for you will be much higher and the access to help will be much lower. Um, that's definitely been a more implicit um, thing. Um, yeah, I think what I try to, certainly try to teach my daughter is to, that she's allowed to feel sad when things are sad. She's allowed to feel angry if something I do or anybody does makes her angry. Um, I think the thing about that trope is how much it, um, it kind of severs your connection with your real emotions. You have to suppress so much in order to be impermeable. You, you don't grow a thick skin you just become numb to the arrows. They still come through, but you're not allowed to respond to them. You still hurt, you know what I mean? And um, I think, yeah, so, so a big, a big um, something that's quite harmful about that stereotype is exactly as I say, it's not that you don't get hurt. It's just that you don't show pain, which is a very different, different thing to wearing a, you know, impermeable armor. Um, and it's a very, it's, because of that misunderstanding, it's much, much more dangerous because it goes somewhere, you know, uh, the hurt and the pain will manifest somewhere. Um, and aside from it not being a fair or okay way for, for women to be. So yeah, I think the way that I try to combat it is uh, model it for myself. Like I'll say to, I'll, I'll cry a lot. And Ava's like, why are you crying? I said, Mama, Mama, why are you crying? I'm like, I, I just feel really tired. I'm just really tired. And it's going to be okay. But like, I'm just so tired. Um, and then it is okay. So she can see what you're allowed, you can go through it. Um, and I've really, I'm very blessed in my family um, that I will call my little brother and just be crying. And my big brother as well. Um, and say, like, I don't even need you to do anything. I just need to be able to express that this is really hard. Like, it's really hard. Um, and I know I'll figure it out. I just need to be allowed to feel for this moment um, the weight of it. That, again, 
the fact that we need to just let it go, let it out, be able to express it. I think that's really important. The fact that you've got that family connection where you're able to express it to your family. And I think, yeah, for me, that really resonates in terms of just feeling it, feeling what you're feeling, expressing what you're feeling, letting others know what you're feeling. It's so important. Right. I think, I think um, that's the biggest thing that you lose when you're told who you are. You're also told how you should feel. Um, and you're not allowed to feel what you're feeling. You have you're con you're constantly invalidated um, and erased essentially. Um, and yeah, I think I, it, it, as I say, it's super super harmful because you can't heal something if you're not even allowed to acknowledge that there's a wound. Uh, I feel yeah. I, I guess it goes back to what I think human beings are entitled to. You're entitled to just by being born you are allowed to be your full self and if you ever encounter as black women do on the daily a stereotype that denies that then you go through your life living half a life so so for example getting this diagnosis of inattentive ADD I only did it because there's this really amazing journalist called Shante Joseph she's called Shante J on um on Twitter and she was talking about how um, she got diagnosed and how black women and women in general, but black women get diagnosed very, very late. Mm. Um, and it was just so affirming to see another black woman being like, I cannot live like this anymore. Like I need help. Um, and so to see her, you know, just exist in a way that was more vulnerable than I was used to that gave me permission to do the same. Um, and, and yeah, I just found it really, really powerful. Um, show it, and it's, uh, you know, it's ironic to show a weakness is actually really powerful. So for anyone who's listening Leah, and they don't know what ADT stands for, what is Oh, that? sorry. Attention deficit disorder. Um, and the one, so, so I think it's more commonly um, or more popularly people know um, of attention, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder um and the one that I was diagnosed with is inattentive um uh attention deficit disorder mm. so find it difficult to <laughs> get to the point in stories and keep track of what I'm saying and things um do look it up though I don't want to I don't want to miss leave people on some of the symptoms and stuff no, so it's fine. Yeah. It's just, and everything that I'm saying is kind of my perception my understanding of Hmm. of a very recent um of a very recent diagnosis how did you feel like as a as how did you feel did you feel some sort of relief knowing that it was an acknowledgement how did you just feel? I don't want to answer the question for you no that the, the biggest thing was just like because I, I I literally because I being a single parent I don't have time for the way that or my coping mechanisms or the way that I see the world isn't aligned to the way that evidently that my brain works. So I'm, you know, always late and losing this and in a hurry. And this is it. And I, I thought, oh, it's the chaos of being a single parent. It's the whatever. But then at a certain point, you're like, I can't live like this anymore. I'm, I'm just, it's too much. Um, and, you know, you read all the books on minimalism and on uh, productivity and all the rest of it. And I, I'm like, is it, is it that I'm lazy? Is it that I'm whatever? Because none of this stuff is working for me. So getting the diagnosis, I was like, oh my God, I felt really hopeful. I was like, oh, maybe there's a way 
that I can understand myself, that means that I could live differently. There was a little bit of grief as well, though, because I was like, imagine if I had been allowed to, if I'd been observed, if I'd been seen, like truly seen as a six, seven-year-old, the, the age that my daughter is, and gotten um, support for who I was, not put into an education system and whatever, that meant that I had to maybe overdevelop one type of way of being and underdevelop another type of way of being that has meant in my life I've been hamstrung it would I, I, yeah I was like who would I be now if I'd been supported in a different way um but the, I try not to I try to think more of the hopefulness the relief yeah like definitely I was like oh my god you know um and, so, and some bits were like quite frustrating because I was like oh that isn't just a layer thing it's potentially an ADD thing you know like um i don't have that many friends but i'm very very close to them to the point that like if you know there's some there's a dude i spoke to quite recently like we hadn't spoken in i want to say like 10 years mm -hmm. but um the minute that we connect again it was like oh yeah as if we were just seeing each other yesterday yeah and that's generally how I am and I thought oh yeah you know that's such a cool thing about me that I'm you know there's a continuum you never it doesn't matter how long I don't see you or whatever and it might be but there's also um this thing called time blindness you have if um you're ADD where you and it makes you late for everything because you think oh that'll take me 10 minutes it won't it'll take an hour uh, being like well who am I you know in this mm -hmm. how much of how I behave is defined by like the fact that I might be neurodiverse and how much of it is like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's really powerful. And I, I do agree in the element of being seen because like you said, when you are seen for who you are, you approach things a lot more different in life mm -hmm. and you become more acceptive as well of yourself. And, and although things may have looked different if you were diagnosed earlier, but I think it's the appreciation that you know of it now and how you navigate life from now on would look different uh, to how it was before, which I think is also very powerful. So moving on, I, I have a question and it's more about, you know, I do have a bit of a love and hate relationship about the word resilience. And sometimes I don't want to be called resilient because of, you know, people would be like, oh, you've got this, you're a strong gal, put your big pants on, you've got it covered. And, and that's all good. But, you know, some of these statements have been made when I had a lot of things going on in my life. And, and I would, people would look at you and say, oh, you're resilient. And all I wanted people to say was, you know, what do you need help with? Mm. You know, I wanted to open up my vulnerability. I wanted, to, I don't want to be strong every day. So, in my opinion, I, I feel like there's something that needs to be done. So I just wanted to ask from your perspective, just your own personal story, how can we redefine stereotypes in the black communities and also educate individuals on how to break narratives and, and demonstrate vulnerability? So, and how do we, and what do we need to unlearn so that we raise future generation of girls that are acceptive of this vulnerability? Oh, wow, that made me think of so many things. Um, so I think the first thing, just because I'll forget to say it before, is um, it's 
interesting that when you said, yeah, when you're going through a lot, what you needed was them to ask you, what do you need? Um, this past week or two, yeah, it's been, I cannot tell you in every single way how challenging the past two weeks have been. Um, and then on top of that this week, um, various things came up with childcare. Uh, didn't, uh, didn't wait to be asked, but it was like, oh, I'll pick her up for you. Or I don't have to ask you for help. You just see that I deserve it and you give it to me without me needing to ask you. Those are the, like, I don't, I, I cry at a lot of things, but like um, usually frustration, but those ones, it's like this sense of, I'm, I'm kind of, I can hold it together until someone says, are you okay? Or, and not even are you okay? And I can hold it together until someone is like, oh, here's a cup of tea. Cause they, they know that I needed it at that moment. And that action is just so rare. Um, but in terms of, um, people saying to other people, oh, you're so resilient, whatever. I feel like if for a second before they did that, they empathized and was like, okay, if this is a human being, realistically, I, you know, how am I doing as a human being right now? Not great. So when I see someone else, I should, I, I understand it's just the tip of the iceberg that they, I have no idea what else is going on. Um, and to do that, you have to move past any archetypes. So that a parent is this, a teacher is this, a pillar of the community is this. Um, if you stop having them be very two-dimensional and allow them to be quite three-dimensional, like human and fallible and whatever, the things you then project onto, onto other people are less... Um, you're, you're less likely to say, oh, wow, you're so strong, you're so resilient. You're more likely to say, okay, what do you need? Because I, I understand that in order for you to be doing this, so much must be slipping. I've got time, how can I help you? But you, I think people first need to like unlearn this desire we have to really flatten people down into two-dimensional ideals um, that is a very narrow understanding of what it is to be you know, very narrow understanding of how we perform masculinity, a very narrow understanding of what a household should look like and all of this. Um, and I wonder if there's a way to do it, not to be like, oh, let's dismantle everything. And it's more about what do I want? If I, if I go out into the world, how do I want people to treat me? Um, and that's something I do say a lot to my daughter is you literally, I say to her, there's no, there is actually no right or wrong because context will do that depending on where you are, what the rules of the engagement are and whatever. Something you do might be seen as great in one place, not so great in another. So I feel like you have to, I said to her, you have to decide, make any choice you like, understand that there'll be consequences, but also understand that like you have to engage with other human beings. And so how would they feel? You, you just need to, project how would you feel if the same was coming to you and then act accordingly and so um everything and I say to everything that I say I'm not telling you you have to I'm just saying if you make a different choice to the one I'm asking you to make there will be consequences if you're fine with that go on and not have a bath and not brush your teeth please go 
but understand that there will be consequences if you want to uh, suffer them great but at the basis of it is try to understand why am i asking you why is mama asking me to do x y and z at this moment even as children empower them to be like no no don't just think critically in a situation don't just follow um don't just parrot stuff back because that is how stereotypes happen that someone's like oh yeah you know she's really strong oh yeah, yeah it becomes received wisdom you didn't do any effort and thinking of like wait a second that person has four children she's on that salary she's in that space she's gonna do all of these like she's not okay clearly i should help her i shouldn't judge her i should do whatever or at the very least i should just leave her alone like let don't make more issues for her you know um but you need to do that on an individual level so having a having children that can think for themselves but have a great deal of empathy mm. um i, I feel like I, I never want to impose a different dogma and say oh um women should be vulnerable should be weak mm. because that interpretation might end up being harmful in another way I, what I liked about that your response was the fact that you know when something is happening you just step back a bit from that yeah. situation and looking at it and analyzing it because I think that is very much empowering because that gives you a point of reflection which I mean I talk about reflection a lot reflection is really good because you could have in, on the situation reflection where you are in that moment and then you ask yourself what is the best thing to do in this situation what are what do the consequences look like and am I able to accept those consequences right. and sometimes you know reflection can be after an event has happened and then you're sitting there and go this happened you know what could I have done better so I think it's really about when you're going through all these different challenges in life and you're feeling really and, and really you know done in it's best to continually reflect on that journey and if you don't get help ask for it because some people might not even be seeing that you need help, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying go, everyone should just go off and, and ask everyone for help, but there will be always people within your lives who are able to, to just give some time off and, and give you help, whether it's, it's helping you with the grocery shopping or cooking or, yeah. or just spending time with you, whatever that looks like, just ask for help. Yeah, I think um, something that I realized um, going on is that there's also people uh, for different seasons. Mm. So um, I just cannot get over the number of people who were so generous and so supportive of me um, that I'm so grateful for and I will be eternally grateful for, but it was for a moment or their um, abilities were limited to a certain situation. I couldn't um, rely on them for absolutely everything and nor sh I think this is another thing you nor should you be like well if you know I ask my best friend for help every day and they can't help me every single day or whatever then obviously I shouldn't ask anyone for help because why couldn't they They're, again it's like what well, empathize you know they can't always be the and like one person can't be everything for you in terms of asking for help so not to be disheartened if um, it, it feels like, oh, I asked and then I got rebutted. So obviously um, there's no one out there who's going to help me or whatever. There definitely is going to be someone who can help you and who want who, people who want to support you. 
even if it transpires that maybe they can only help you in a certain context or for a certain amount of time or whatever, um, it doesn't mean you're any less deserving of help. It just means that this is this is the limit of the person could give you. Because I feel like that's something that people stumble on. They're like, you know, I did ask and you didn't help me. And so I, why should I ever ask again? I obviously have to thug it out on my own. And it's like, well, no, because you don't know. It, it just means that you needed, to, you need to figure out maybe where else you can get help from. Um, I think as a society, something too very much unlearned is the idea of people being like such like absolute individuals as if there's no inter interconnectivity whatsoever that we're not a part of community um or even if we are that we're part of very small tribes um if at some point we can like go oh actually everyone is connected and everyone is one part of big one big tribe um then there's less i think it, it it would give way to to less pain because you're less like well you know the only kind of person that could have helped me is this type of person or or my best friend or my mum or my dad or my whatever and if that if if my family can't help me then obviously no one's gonna help me if you know if, if you're religious well obviously you know this isn't something that you would get out of the church so obviously it's not so, a kind of version of help i can ask for and whatnot i think um again like the most important thing is just to get to the point where you feel like i deserve help even if i can't give it to myself i deserve help and so what little energy i have will be spent um figuring out where where i need it or even not even figure out versus like might be like can someone can help me figure out what i need because so often you don't know because you're just there like all i know is i'm struggling that's it um yes, need to just and, talk out exactly and for so long I've been told the only person I can rely on is myself and myself is tired I think like what you said just then about having that support network around you of people that you can talk to is so important yeah and expressing that in your communities and that doesn't just mean in the black community or whatever we want the black community to be I think it does mean like in wherever you are existing being able to know the strength in your vulnerability and being able to know the strength in showing your vulnerability. And if you don't want to show it in that moment, that's also fine. Yeah, I feel like um, another big thing is, um, it, again, it, you know, you learn through stories. It's the narratives that you see tell you who you are. Mm. And um, after being going to drama center, I'm not sure why it was after going to drama center, but it was, I w would seek out more black female creators so people who I had a connection with not because we both had melanin or not only because of that but because we wanted to make things and we had a specific voice that we hadn't heard you know whatever so I found myself actively seeking out black women in a way that that's the most harmful stereotype I think um, I've ever come across as being a black woman is the the idea that there can only be one mm -hmm. in a space um, that any other black woman who enters your sphere in an office, in a classroom, whatever, is somehow a threat. Um, it meant that I've not been able to uh, see many other different versions of how to be. And so what I found really useful is surrounding myself with loads of other black women. And so I filled 
my Instagram and like, you know, things that I follow or whatever with people who would show me so many different ways to be black mm. when I just didn't have access to that kind of, um, of th- those multitudes. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's a really, really, really big thing to free oneself from a stereotype is to give yourself more options. You know, if you've only got one outfit in a wardrobe to wear, you're like, well, obvs, this is me. You know, even if it doesn't fit and the buttons won't close and yada, yada, or I'm drowning in it, um, it's the only outfit. So here we go. Whereas if you, you know, look around and like fill it with so many different things and realize, you know what, today, this fits better. Um, In this situation, this fits better because I saw someone else do it. I saw someone else exist in that way and and it gave me permission to do the same thing. Um, That's something that I've tried really hard in parenting is I am my daughter's mother and I, you know, she knows that, but I am not averse to her having different points of view surrounded by different voices, different things, because I say to her, again, like I said, you'll get loads of information. You need to know who you are and what it is that you want, what your intent is in any situation. Take on the information, think, you know, organize it critically and then make a decision based on, is that closer or further away for, from what your t- intent is? And that can't, it can't always be my voice in your head. I'm not, I don't own you, you know, I'm not trying to mold you into a certain image or whatever. Um, all I feel my, uh, obligation is is to surround you with as many images and and many different narratives as possible mm-hmm. so that you feel freed to pick among them and then also for me to walk it as well to live my life embracing um various things and be like yeah you know what if I cry and I'm tired it doesn't mean everything's going to crumble um it means that an emotion can become overwhelming and it needs to be let out and then you can move forward and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess um, in terms of the impact on parenting, the way that I've tried to engage with it is in as many different ways as possible to ensure she has access to as many different narratives or, and, and, you know, positive ones as possible. Mm. I like that when you mentioned about the narrative of a black woman, quite often we are, we, we are put into this bucket that there is one black woman, but yet we are so different and our stories are so different. And even when you look at what you said about, you know, filling your Instagram with different versions of blackness and how they're doing life, what they're doing, that is powerful because then you see the differences that we have and the learnings that you can get from that and you surrounding your daughter with, you know, an option of different narratives. That's amazing because then she's able to see, okay, this is what life looks like for this person. Or this is how, you know, this story turns out and this is what I'm learning. Then she's able to look at all these different options that she has in her life and grow from that, which I do find powerful in terms of how we all do life and navigate life as individuals. For as long as you know um, that things are temporary, 
then you know you love more you take more care you um appreciate things more um and, and especially yourself you appreciate yourself more uh, hopefully first among ever, all of them is to be like uh, you know uh, some I think another thing of seeing people unwell for a long period of time and a disintegration um, has been as well a way of saying it's not promised that you get to be healthy today. Mm. Um, so absolutely, we need to endure. We need to you know, run the race that capitalism has set. But also uh, you might as well you know ask for help you might as well find what you need to be happy and ask for it because you're not going to be here forever there might not be a chance tomorrow um and so yeah just ask just 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 be who you are and feel what you feel because the ocean is on fire literally it's <laughs> makes sense. exactly it's literally on fire no i think what you said there is just it's just so honest and so like yes we just need to ask we need to recognize that we are here for a temporary like we are here for a minute amount of time and we need to make sure we're living out our emotions as we're feeling it we need to make sure that we're doing the things we want to do and being the people that we want to be and not ascribing to the stereotypes that are put upon us, not ascribing to what other people are saying um, we need to be. We need to be our individual selves. And I think that's so important. Um, I think reflecting just generally on your journey as a mother so far, we wanted to end and consider about, consider the positives, challenges, and also giving a sprinkle of advice to others on your journey as a mother. Um, so to kick off, wanted to find out a positive aspect of black motherhood that you would want to share with the world. Definitely, I didn't realize quite how important it was to be part of a continuum, uh, mm. how important my ancestors, where I'm from, who I am as a product of, you know, generations. I didn't really have any reason to think about that until I had my daughter and I gave her a middle name that I have that my mom has that her mom had um that's very specific in our tribe it means certain things and stuff and um that opened up a whole way of understanding who I was uh this gift of my daughter was so is so precious in terms of reconnecting me to um, trying to find out the truth of who my ancestors were, not um, through sorry, with the colonizers' lens in terms of okay, this is what the good blacks were, and this is what the whatever. But um, it really you know lit a hunger in me to um, find out more, and I don't know that that would have ever happened had I not had a, a daughter. She's also very amusing. I like her a lot. I love her, but I actually really like her as well. She's very, very funny. I love that. Um, I said, like, can you imagine a seven-year-old coming up to you and being like, um, Mama, I just want to talk to you about boundaries. I think it's really <laughs> important that you, you let somebody else fail because 
if you come in and help them, how are they ever going to learn? I said, can you just go to <laughs> It really is going on 17. <laughs> and then, the other day I was like, okay, please, I really need to work. Please, can you just watch TV? You have so many more options. We had, we had, okay, Kenya, two channels. When we came here, Channel 5 was the, was that girl. Like we only had, we had nothing in comparison to what you have. Can you please go watch television? He's like, no. <laughs> uh, it's really bad for children to watch this much television. I think you can really be engaging. I said, uh, uh, listen, yeah, so she's, al- I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful. However, uh, her mind is something that needs nurturing and there are only 24 hours in a day. So that can be a thingy, but uh, yeah, that's a positive thing. It's, I'm just, I'm so grateful for the, um, for the blessing uh, and the gift of being her mother. It's just a wonderful and and being a, a black, what you, you specified being a black mother, um, it really pushed me to understand further than uh, to, to to find different stories of of what it is to be black, um, because she's mixed, right? She's her dad's Lebanese, and then I'm Ugandan, and um, she has so many questions and so many. Uh, you know she wants to figure out her identity too and if I don't know who I am she won't know who she is um and so yeah but visited Uganda much more than I think I would have and the way that I see the country is like through her eyes the way I see everything is through her eyes and it's just such a um it's such a gift Mm, I love that kids are beautiful aren't they they're gifts they make you revisit life the second time in a different way and that's something that I have noticed as well. You yeah. see things through their eyes and I have to admit it's much more beautiful and you become more acceptive and more, more aware of things that you just thought were normal. They become yeah. a bit more precious. And that, I, love, <laughs> I love the conversations you're having with her. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, that said, uh, I think the other question you had is, what's the challenge you faced? Yeah, I was going to ask you, what what are, what are the challenges that you've faced as a, as a Black mother? It's the other side of that coin. It's the same thing. As a Black mother, um, there are things that, uh, particularly this year, I say particularly this year, it's always been the case, but just maybe not so, people didn't feel so empowered, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just what does being black mean uh and as a mother having the responsibility to engage with that for myself for her uh with her school uh articulating why it's important that you know during education not just her but everybody in her class is taught has looks up to and gets informed by puts someone who is black puts information in their heads. Um, it's really foundational in the way that they will then go on to see w- how they should listen to and how they should value black people. Um, and that's really tiring, advocating for the humanity of myself and um, people who look like me in order to ensure um, an education that my daughter, you know, doing stuff that other parents don't even have to think about. This is how I want her to be in the world, which is, again, like I said, somebody who thinks critically, who um, tries to empathize with other human beings and make their lives easier um, in terms of being able to fully live 
and be themselves and be seen as themselves. That's the kind of human that I would like to, uh, I don't wanna say bring up, but like usher into the world. Um, it's been incredibly challenging how much energy that takes because things are not set up to support that. It's a learning journey, isn't it? Yeah. So to just wrap up, um, Leah, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given to you at the beginning of your Black motherhood journey? And what advice would you want to share with others? So at the beginning of my Black motherhood journey, um, I just don't, I don't, I can't think of, I wish anything because you just can't be told. You won't know, you just, there's no way anyone could tell you what I've learned now that it would have been nice to know. However, I did get great advice. I will say I really clung on to two pieces of advice. One was that it's a phase, no matter what's happening, if it's really brilliant, if it's really terrible, it'll pass. So, you know, act accordingly, enjoy it or, um, you know, breathe through it, but like promise you it's gonna pass and things will change. Um, that was one and two was pee first. If ever you think you need to go to the toilet, do not do whatever else it is, but go to the toilet because you do not know <laughs> when you're going to have the ability to go. That was so important in my, uh, particularly when Ava was a toddler because you know you don't want to prioritize yourself. You're like, oh, you need to like get her this. She's screaming. No, go to, you, like you're allowed to go to the bathroom first. Do, and it's a bit like, uh, you know, on the plane, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first. I've kind of extrapolated into that, that like you really do have to make sure that you're healthy and comfortable mm. um, uh, in every way. And then you can go deal with other people. Mm. Really allow yourself for it to be a village. I don't think we were ever built to have one person be everything to anyone else in any kind of relationship. Um, but certainly the parenting one, the way that it's set up makes you feel guilty for that being the case but I think it's important to um, allow for a village to be part of the journey of your motherhood uh, or your parenthood um, as opposed to thinking that you have to be absolutely everything. It really does take a village. Um, I'm not a mother, I am an auntie to many and I just see how important it is to be that separate confidant, that separate, you know, sometimes the kid doesn't want to talk to their parents, they want to talk to the auntie. Absolutely. The rich auntie is a vital, vital, vital yeah. part of the ecosystem, let me tell you. <laughs> like, honestly, for everyone. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like that too. I think um, if anyone listens and they're not sure about that they see themselves as a mother, in the traditional sense, they feel like that's not something that they necessarily want to do. I want to say like, that's it's more than valid. It's like, just really embrace that, be who you are. Don't procreate because you think, feel you need to and have to, because you can impact children's lives in so many other ways. Um, even if you're not an auntie and like babysitting, sometimes, as I said, just by existing and them knowing, oh, that's an option. You know, you're really giving so much um, to 
to the development of other kids by just being happy and being yourself. If anything that we've discussed during this session resonates with you, feel free to get in touch with your comments, questions, or just to say hello at hello at blackmotherhood.co.uk. Bye. Bye. Precious has been Black Motherhood with Chanju and Chibesa. The music is composed by Wangani and Lisan Mwanza with added vocals by Baby Eloise. Thanks for listening. <laughs>